Welcome to the Black Theatre History Podcast, where we seek to celebrate the people, the plays, and the rich stories of the American theatre's African-American history makers. I'm KB Sane. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Dr. Tanya Pettiford-Waits, known to those who love and admire her as Dr. T, about ritual poetic drama within the African continuum. Ritual poetic drama is a methodology that uses song, word power, and dance to create revelation and social change. Dr. Pettiford Waits is the artistic director and founder of The Conciliation Project, a nonprofit social justice theater company whose mission is to promote, through active and challenging dramatic work, open and honest dialogue about racism and systems of oppression in America in order to repair its damaging legacy. Dr. T also serves as a professor of graduate pedagogy and acting and directing at Virginia Commonwealth University and is the co-artistic director of Conciliation Lab. We recorded this conversation in the basement, Conciliation Lab's home in Richmond, Virginia. Dr. T is a playwright, director, actor, poet, writer, scholar, activist, and teacher. She has appeared with the Tony Award-winning company of the New York Shakespeare Festival's Broadway production of For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Was Enough, performing in both the national and international touring companies. Her television, film, industrial, voiceover, and commercial credits are extensive. I have personally been inspired by the work of Dr. T and of the Conciliation Project, and it's my joy to get to sit down with her for this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're so welcome. My pleasure, really. <laughs> it's been a long time coming since I've been able to sit down with you. Um, I told you before that my initial interest, my reason that I wanted to sit down with you was because of your work with the Conciliation Project, which I've been following for many years now. Uh, and I really wanted to take a minute to celebrate uh, the text, Black Acting, Acting Methods, which was released last summer. And because of that text and its success, mm -hmm. I realized that the number of people who now will be learning about ritual poetic drama has Ex increased. <laughs> exponentially. Yes. 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 And so yes. I'm wondering, um, I'd like to focus our conversation there, but I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your training and origins because they mm. so impact the work that you do now. Mm -hmm. I know that you chose to go to Carnegie Mellon. Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to speak to any of that training, what you left with, where you felt your strengths were, and then what the realities of that were hmm. in your career? Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I always tell people, I feel like I have to say, uh, in the work that I now do, and, and the way my career has gone, and, and uh, my purpose, and um, all of the things that um, have centered and focused um, around the, this uh, methodology of ritual poetic drama within the African continuum, I in no way want to demean or diminish my conservatory education, you know, my classic education, um, my Euro-centered education, because I believe I wouldn't have evolved to who I am right now. Okay without the impetus of that education. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I just, wanna, I, I just want, want to say that I wouldn't give that back, although, <laughs> yes and, <laughs> yes, and um, it was a struggle. You know, it was a struggle. I recognized uh, as a, a very young person 
Uh, and my parents are educated. They are uh, champions of education. Okay. And so no matter what you did, the point was you had to get training. Mm. You had to be educated. So yes, maybe you have talent, you know, you're, you're artistic and creative, but in that arena, you also need uh, training. Mm-hmm. You need um, technique. You need, you know, all of those types of things. And so, you know, our idea was to pick the best school of possible <laughs> to go there, right? So um, my journey through conservatory education and classic education, because I studied also at the Central School of Drama, mm-hmm. Speech, and Film in London, England, which is where I fell in love with Shakespeare, because I never understood it over here. On the mm. other side of the pond, they, they elevated it to this point of elitism that felt very unreachable and very untouchable and, and very foreign. Yes, mm-hmm. very disconnected. That's interesting. Yes. So when I went over there, all of a sudden, that's their stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're very connected to it. And the way they do it is very organic. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just enamored at that mm-hmm. time with this newfound love of Shakespeare, I think, right? So anyway, I came back, I did all of my auditions, I did the top five schools and got into all of them. And then I had to make a choice, right. <laughs> you know, and uh, Carnegie Mellon was my choice. Um, and the entire, t- although I loved the study, mm-hmm. I always felt, like a foreigner. I just felt mm-hmm. awkward um, with the classic training, with the idea of standardized speech. Mm-hmm. I, 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 was, I studied with Edith Skinner. Okay. <laughs> yes. And so we had many run-ins about that standardized speech thing and also struggled with Stanislavski. And the magic if and all of the, you know, all of these things that, so I did happen to have one black professor named Israel Hicks, who basically saved my time at Carnegie Mellon. He saved all of us who were of color, particularly the black students. Mm -hmm. You know, first of all, he told us that uh, the first thing, and he was working in the industry at the time. He said, the first thing that people are going to be surprised about is that you can even speak uh, in Shakespearean language and understand what you're talking about. They're going to totally be blown away <laughs> by that, right? right. And uh, they're going to be surprised that you're talented and that you're trained. Mm-hmm. So that's going to set you above, you know, so he goes, you all don't have to worry about having jobs, basically. So here we were feeling very underappreciated and pushed to the margins and only, you know, never allowed center stage, you know, in the productions that were happening, studying uh, not only Shakespeare, but, you know, Moliere and the uh, restoration plays and the, you know, I mean, all all of this stuff, but we hadn't gotten in touch with us, with ourselves. And so we kept feeling like we were putting on, I call it alienated acting, where we are an alien. We're putting, we're, we are putting on whiteness, basically. Before even putting on the role. Before even putting on the role. Mm-hmm. Before even putting on the role. And, you know, I didn't even realize this was happening, right? I don't, you don't realize this is happening until you're uh, very much immersed in it and to the end and attempting to get this, um, this validation, 
that you did it right, Mm -hmm. you know, from these professors that want you to leave the essence of who you are outside the door Mm. and come in and be like us. They did not want to hear anything about your ethnicity, your blackness, your your, uh, gender identity, your Mm -hmm. any of those things. Um, even though gender identity, that door was at least cracked open. Right. <laughs> that was right. at least cracked mm-hmm. open. There was at least an acknowledgement that there's something that needs to be, that's a part of who you are that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. But as far as your blackness, no. And there were, did you have any opportunity to read or experience any of Only with work? Israel Hicks. Okay. That's why I say mm-hmm. he brought Black theater into Carnegie Mellon. Otherwise, Black theater wouldn't have been there. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we would have just been doing the crucible. I was doing, you know, for my for my final scenes, I'm doing Elizabeth Proctor in the crucible. <laughs> of course. Please. Right. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, the role, of course, that I would get in a production at that time is Tichaba. Right. Course. Right. So, um Anyway, and was it his introduction sharing some of that work with you with a different language with different origin? Did did that help you codify this recognition of white theater versus black theater? I think his he was very young, too. At the time, he was a young teacher, you know, too. Mm -hmm. But but he was in the industry. And so he so he already recognized the dual consciousness Mm -hmm. in the industry that once we get out of this place, this white bastion of, you know, of uh, the exceptional and the gifted and the talented, that we were going to enter the real world. Mm -hmm. And all they were going to see when we walk into the room is a black woman, a black man, a black, and that who we were, that identity, we couldn't get rid of, even though at this institution, it was being, it was being out of you. that it was being trained out of us and it was being ignored mm-hmm. totally ignored like as if it had no place it did not matter that <laughs> that we had a whole culture mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a part of who we were and a part of our essence and all of that was being trained out of us you know basically you're leaving it you're leaving your your stuff by the side of the road right. and he was sort of get, Without actually saying, you guys are not going to be doing this work that they're, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to be doing this other work. Right. With, you know, without without saying that outright, he kept preparing us for the reality that we were going to be going into, thank goodness. And then what was your reality? My reality was my first audition out of school was for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough, and I totally freaked out. I can't believe that was your first audition. Yes. Well, I already had a job out of school because they came in. And, you know, I was oh, going yeah, yeah. to work for the Pittsburgh, what's called the Pittsburgh uh, Repertory Theater. Uh, so I had a job for the season. So, I, you know, and they knew that just by coming mm-hmm. to see us, you know, at while we were in university. So... I wasn't really going to New York to audition, but then I saw that show. Mm-hmm. And the person I was with said, why don't you call them up and ask them for an audition? Which was a, basically, I felt like was a dare. I was like, right, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I did it. I did it. 
And one thing led to another. They were looking for somebody for the Broadway show right then. Okay. And they didn't want to see anybody that they had already seen. So they were looking okay. for mm -hmm. fresh, new faces, whatever. And the, the choreographer was in town on that day. And the director was coming in on that weekend. Okay. So Is that Oz Scott, it was uh, the choreographer at that, Paula Moss. Paula oh. Moss. Moss. Paula Moss. Mm -hmm. And I came down there. I did an audition and they said, here's some sides we want you to read for the director. This is all, I mean, it was just mm -hmm. by making a phone call. Anyway, you know, long story short, I looked at that, I looked at the side, and I had seen the play, and I had never been transported to a, to kind of a spiritual plane while I was watching a piece of theater mm -hmm. before I watched that show. When I was in another headspace, and I really literally saw myself on the stage. What was the experience of seeing, had you read any of Benjazaki's stuff before that? No. What was your experience of seeing her words on the page after experiencing that? that? Right. That was where there was a real disconnect, right? I freaked mm -hmm. out because it was, it's not something I studied in school, right? right? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking, I'm used to scripts, you know, mm -hmm. with uh, characters and um, and uh, direction, mm -hmm. and um, and if it doesn't have it, I realized it was Shakespeare or the classics, where mm -hmm. it just basically had no direction but just sort of text, yeah. right? And uh, so this was classic African, you know? I mean, this was like, and, and it's not something that we had studied at all, and so I freaked out and uh, happened to call up one of my teachers, went over there, white woman, and um, she said, treat it like Shakespeare. When she said that, I was like, oh, now I have a way of working. Now, how screwed up is that? Like, now I have a way mm -hmm. to in. I have a portal <laughs> into, this, into this text that is about me. It's in my language. It's in my vernacular. It's, it's about me. And I have to. But you're using Shakespeare. But I'm using to Shakespeare that. to decode that because mm -hmm. that was my training. That mm -hmm. is, it's really messed up. And, and so, so I always like to say, I got the role and I went, I first joined the Broadway company and then I went on the first national mm -hmm. tour. And that adventure, which that was a journey of like, cause I did Woody's tour after that. Right. And so that was like a journey of three and a half years. And I just want to say it's Woody King Jr. Woody King Jr. Yes, yes. And um, I love him. Anyway. He was our very first podcast guest. <laughs> Woody King Jr. He always calls me Tanya Pettiford. You know, anyway, um, uh, I was in the show for three and a half years in different roles, right? But in the on the first national tour, I was with these women who were seasoned, mm. who were um, knowledgeable about who they were, who had been working with Zaki's text and Zaki mm -hmm. for... Uh, you know, for, for a long time. And I was this newbie coming out of conservatory, white conservatory, mm -hmm. and recognizing that I lost myself. Mm. Zaki has a poem in for colored say, girls that a, says, "What a piece!" <laughs> yeah. I have lost it. Touch with reality. Mm -hmm. I don't know who's doing it, right? So that's where I was. And these women 
raised me. And I just remember Entazaki pulling me under her wing as well. She called me on the phone one day because we had to do a um, like a Good Morning America kind of thing. And of course, none of the elder actors <laughs> wanted to get up at the crack of Old Dark 30. So they said, call Tanya. Right. Because mm. she'll say yes, you know, which they were right. But Zaki, I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not, you know, I haven't, you know, she's like, yes, you are. You are. I'm going to do the poem and you do the dancing, <laughs> you know? And I was like, but I don't know that she goes, yes, you do. It's in you. Just move. Just do what you, you know? And I was like, oh, wow. And that and again. And then we sat down and I talked to her about writing and she said, the, I was like, I want to do this. How do I do this? She said, you just start writing. Yeah. You know, just speak and put it, put it on the page. Well, I think that that might be a bridge mm. mm-hmm. um, that isn't the one that I thought we would go across. But I'm, I'm also curious, um, when you define the parts of ritual, poetic, and drama, mm-hmm. the poetic component mm-hmm. also always includes dance. Or yes. Movement. Yes. Or, and I'm wondering, if choreo there, poetry. Yes. I, I'm wondering if, the, if mm-hmm. those roots are in that initial professional work of yours. I, I think so. Uh, the connection. You know, I was always a mover, but it's in me naturally. It's it's where I come from. It's cultural, right? Um, and I go and I go into this Eurocentric training that separates all of that. Like right. it makes movement one thing. Um, voice and speech, one thing, you know, and then acting, another thing. And then you have, and then you're, the students are left in all these pieces that then they have to try to knit together and connect to one another. Whereas this, the work of ritual poetic drama is about the organic connection of the voice, of the body, you know, um, of the spirit, you know, of the mind. And none of them are more important than the other. Which is a key component. That's right. That's right. And for colored girls spoke that to me. For colored girls is ritual poetic drama. I know that Entezaki's piece is called a choreo poem, mm-hmm. but it is what she was doing. Yes, yes. But it is in its essence ritual poetic drama mm-hmm. because it comes out of rite of passage experience. Mm-hmm. And it comes mm-hmm. Out oh, of, yes, of it comes out of rite of passage experience. Th- those moments that transform us forever, right? Until we have another rite of passage mm-hmm. that either is reflective of the first one mm-hmm. and it can transform that into a new experience and so forth. Um, but it's, it's an organic connection um, out of this uh, uh, rite of passage moment, which the enti- my entire experience with For Color Girls was that. It you, was in, a rite of passage journey. In the, in the methodology that you have forged, um, the, the key to that really is like reconnecting the artists with their African roots. That's right. Or and let me be more specific with the African roots of the theatrical. That's tradition. right. That's right. Uh, because I always say there's a, a, a one of the one of the griots that we met when I went to the continent to study mm-hmm. um, said uh, we are all African, not because we were born in Africa, but Africa was born in us. And I began to recognize that in our culture, in this place we live, in the United States of America, there was, there is a disconnect with origin, period. 
with the origin of lots of things. Yes. <laughs> but that, um, but that in the dramatic form, I needed to know where did that come from? And my education told me, I'm talking about my formal education yes. in conservatory, told me it came from the Greeks. Right. Which I know, which is, we know not is not true. true. And that was part, that was the thing that was itching at me the whole time I was studying in formal training mm -hmm. in this Western model that it did not start here. Where did it start and why? Yeah. What is it for? Because we've, we, you know, something has gotten lost in the translation. If we're talking about my form, my formative mm -hmm. process. I was raised during the time of great commercialism, right? Yes. In the, I mean, it was all about, it was all about the entertainment. Job you were going to get. Not, yes, not yes. The work you were going to do. That's right, and it didn't speak to. Even though I know, it's because my education was deficient. Mm -hmm. That there was a huge part of my education missing. Mm -hmm. So I, I had no question about my citizen, my artistic citizenship my responsibility as a citizen artist, the but, activism but part. about that. That is the core, uh, in, in much of the work that you do, uh, both with the main subject here, but then also with your work with Conciliation Project, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, there is this notion of uh, transforming the artist within the community that the artist exists mm -hmm. uh, and that there is no disconnect between mm -hmm. the community itself and what the artist discovers is the story that that community needs mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to have brought forward. I think I'll say it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that our listeners know, I did have my copy of Black Acting Methods with me. It's here. Yes. Mm -hmm. Would you mind reading a bit from the afterward um i want to make sure you and i are speaking a shorthand i know i know we both yes know yes the, the context of this and i wonder if you wouldn't mind um we'll start at the end mm -hmm, and then, mm -hmm. and <laughs> and then go back of course that's fine fill it back in yeah, yeah. Um, because i think that uh, these few sentences in in your chapter uh in black acting methods really do summarize mm -hmm, the, the bulk mm -hmm. of the work would you mind taking sure sure i will i will um Ritual poetic drama within the African continuum has emerged as a holistic, powerful method in which to nurture and transform both the creative artist and the creative process. It is rooted in the inner knowing that with every sunrise, there will be a sunset and that the power of theater in performance is life, death and transformation of not only the artist, but also the audience and the community. I think that's what you were referring to. Um, the infusion of cultural pluralism and the inclusion of a Catholicity of thought, uh, which is just multiple plural you know, uh, levels of thought and practice is essential. If the dramatic arts industry is to be relevant in the future beyond entertainment of elites or some commercial bottom line, as creative artists, arts educators, and scholars, we have an innate responsibility to move our industry forward by infusing cultural pluralism of thought and practice throughout arts education. Mm -hmm. The ultimate function and purpose of ritual poetic trauma is to empower the dramatic artists to fully embrace their artistic purpose 
to become self-actualized and recognize their function as an activated artistic force responsible to both their personal artistic integrity and their social responsibility. So that's what I, I, I was totally missing that whole component of myself and didn't see it reflected anywhere in my official institutional training. Can we talk about the self-actualization of mm-hmm. the whole artist um, as an activist, as an owner of their own mm-hmm. destiny mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. self um, as part of what it means to be in their community? Can you speak to the way that the work you do fosters that self-actualization? What are mm-hmm. the methods or techniques or approaches or, uh, I don't know if you want to get into specific rituals, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how are the ways that that you get to the core of that for the, the artist? The artist. <laughs> okay, so first of all, first of all, I see them. Mm-hmm. There's a, an African expression called sawabona, which means I see you, right? And the response to that is uh, yebo sawabona, which means and I see you. And so we see one another. I never felt seen. So, so that's where that comes from. Yeah, so we, we, we have to create a community of learners um, um, in artistic practice that value one another, mm-hmm. that see one another, right? And I want them to know I'm a part of that yes. Yes. community. I am not the uh, all-knowing the director, the, director, the, the head. No, yes. I am not that. I am a part of you. There, This is a process of teaching and learning. You will teach me. I will teach you. Yes. There will be an exchange. There will be a giving and a receiving. So, so making a communal commitment um, is like the first part of the process. And for many art students, it's the first time anyone has said to them, right. I see you. And, and, and please know that I don't get these students often until their senior year mm. because I'm working right. with them on creating their own work, right? Devising their own work. And they have to go through all of this stuff before they get to me. Right. And they've been in, in conservatory or in training for four years. And this is the first time someone has said, I see you. Yeah. And not only that, I tell them and I ask them to repeat after me to say, I am enough. Mm. I am enough. So it's very personal to begin with, to begin with. The, the, um, there's an expression that says, um, that says umbutu, mm-hmm. right? I am because we are, yeah. right? So we can't be <laughs> um, alone ourselves we are uh, um, a compilation of the community that we are a part of. We are that we experience from that we are, that we learn from that we um, that we go through various journeys with mm-hmm. that we experience pain, love, love. You know that we uh, uh, recognition. Um, you know surprise, whatever honor, and rituals. You bring all of those things into the room. That's right. For each. For no, each art. student, I, that's I right. I want to say student, but also yeah. artist. Artist, I call them. Together, yes. I, I call my students artists Yes, well. I call I, them artists, yes. I, that's what we're training Young artists, yes. And we're not, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. by the time you get to choosing your own 
education. Yes. You have chosen to be an artist. That's right. That's uh, right. How, what are the ways that you invite them to bring all of those parts of themselves into the room, um, into their art making? Mm-hmm. How, what, what are the ways to safely invite that? We create what we call a sanctuary, mm. right? So yeah. this is a sanctuary of creation where um, we honor the space. So we transform the space. That's the first thing that we do. And in, and in, so in ritual poetic drama practice, we are um, incorporating certain rituals that we do on a consistent basis. One of those is to create the space and to clear the space and to wash the space. Mm. So that happens at the beginning of every, yes, Mm -hmm. every class, every class. And, um, we wash the floors mm. like, and they do that collectively as a group. We do it with music and singing okay. so that, and all of this came from my journey to Africa, which is where all artistic practice began yes. because it's where all people began mm-hmm. because it's where, you know, so, and the Greeks got it from them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but when you steal the form, but you don't know what the content is, then we get Greek tragedy, hmm. right? That's what I always tell my students. You know, that's a long story we can't go well, no, into. It's stuff like when, you take, when you take the ritual out of ritual poetic trauma, you just get... Yeah. I'm not sure that I've ever... I, I'm sure there are so many of us who have never put that in that mm-hmm. context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, you know, this is about life, death, and transformation. And it's about that cycle, yeah. right? And and the essence of the essence of drama... Uh, Shakespeare always said the play is the thing. No, it's the story. Yeah, it's the I'm story. I'm so glad you said that because that's a distinction uh, that when I first read about this work, codified in a, in an article in this mm, way, mm-hmm. um, rather than just hearing friends and colleagues speak mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. their process or, or witnessing the result of it on the mm-hmm, stage. Mm-hmm. But the I am a personally a text first. Uh, literature, intellectual mm-hmm, mm-hmm. storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, at, but for me, that isn't always story. Right, right. Right, so I, I'm always culling the text to get to the story, mm-hmm. whereas I feel like something that was transformative for the way that I think about my own work is that you reveal the story mm-hmm. instead of trying to mine mm-hmm, the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is a really that's a shift it is a shift it's a paradigm shift Mm -hmm. you know i mean for any of us who were trained classically it is a huge shift it's like a it's tectonic you know plates are moving when you stop speaking you know speaking the speech with distinction living yes the story i mean there's that you're shaking everything at its core and james baldwin is the foundation of my definition Mm. of story Right. Uh, he, he says the story or a story, because it's not the, it's many. A story is impelled mm-hmm. by the necessity to reveal itself. And impelled, not compelled. No, impelled. It, Two different is things. such an important distinction. I want to make sure that our listeners impelled. are hearing that. Yeah. When I say impelled, I think of projectile vomit, basically. Mm. Sorry to be crude, but well. it. You can't control that. 
it comes, and if you try to cover it up, it's still going to come out. It's kind of, yep. and it's going to make your eyes water. It's going to clog up your ears. It's going to come other places if you try to hold it in. It's got to come out. It's got to come out. You're the vessel. Yes. But it's the content. And, and it will you know, be and revealed. it will be revealed. Mm. So a story is impelled by the necessity to reveal itself, and therefore a story can have nothing to hide, at least not intentionally. Mm-hmm. And that there is no resolution to a story. So this is antithetical to everything I learned. Yes, there's no resolution to a story. Um, that the aim of the story is revelation. Speak and, to that, please. and that revelation has to incur, occur in us. Okay. And, and it's the revelation is what we make of the questions with which the story leaves us. Mm. Which means you, KB, would have different questions than I would have. Than, so, you know, so in other words, what we learned was this process where we all get on the boat together there's the exposition, mm-hmm. there's the plot, there's the uh, conflict, there's the climax, there's the, uh, you know, the denouement yeah. and then the conclusion. And it's the beginning and the middle and the end. And we, were, and we are tasked with making that journey together through all of that. In ritual poetic drama, in, the, in James Baldwin's um, definition of story, we can come in anywhere. Mm. It's about the questions that the story leaves us with. That we're the revelation is the aha moment is what about such and such? You know, I mean, and uh, then he goes on to say, James Baldwin goes on to say, plot, on the other hand, answers all questions it pretends to pose. Ooh. And and then I say to my students, what's a pretend question? Mm-hmm. Lawyers are trained to never ask a question they don't already know the answer to. That's a pretend question. In fact, I'm trying to get you to say my answer that I already know, which means that's not a real question. A real question is something you really do want to know. Interrogation of something that you don't know. If you already know, that's not a question. That's a conclusion. But it's complete. You're just kind of blowing my mind a little bit right now because it's completely antithetical to like, what do you want to say? Yes. What, what is the what is the work that you like? Yes. What is the story you want to tell that, by nature, asks you to define what you want your audience to what what you want them to leave with? That's mm-hmm, what everyone mm-hmm, says. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I raises the question for me is you indicate that the audience has to be involved. Yes. In this work. Yes. Um, or it is. Yes. Not fruitful. So how... The audience has to be a witness. Yeah, could you speak to that? Because if, if we are not defining that with which we want our audience to leave, and we are recognizing that they must be involved, mm-hmm. how does that play out? Well, I mean, when you witness something, mm-hmm. right, your witness of it, you see things... My witnesses of it, I might see something else. When we spectate and we sit back, which is what the um, traditional Mm -hmm. theater model is with the fourth wall, you know, and the voyeurism, right, where we're looking into something Mm -hmm. uh, that we're not supposed to be there, we're a fly on the wall, whatever. Um, And uh, um, But it's allowing us to be detached. It's allowing us to 
sit quietly, sit in, the quietly dark. in the yeah. dark and look at it. When you witness something, you can't help but have emotional, visceral, uh, physical, psychological response. Yeah. So, and what you also can't help is your responsibility. That you cannot unsee what you have seen. Right? In a witness. Like if you witness Correct. an accident or something. Well, that just... Um, to me, what you just said is that key component to how this work always seeks social change. Yes. Yes. And, and hearing you say those things together allows me to very clearly see the audience as witness as a key component to evoking mm-hmm. social change through the art. Mm-hmm. And the responsibility that not only the artist, but also the audience has. Mm-hmm. That you are responsible for what you saw. Yeah. You're responsible. You're responsible for what you heard. You're responsible for what you felt. You know, often uh, in this work, we ask the audience to tell us what they're feeling. Right? And then, and then to um, expound on that. Like, you know. And I'll speak um, particularly to the experiences that we've had even in my own theater space um, with Uncle Tom Deconstructed, mm-hmm. the Conciliation Project, um, that inviting the audience to participate in a ritual. Yes. And in, in a cleansing mm-hmm. ritual before a sharing and a participation. Uh, and and that, that act speaks so clearly mm-hmm. to... Mm-hmm. I, I want to say not letting them off the hook. And that's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, that's true, but that's, that, I feel like th- that sentence. Calling them into their own responsibility. Calling them into their Thank own you. responsibility. Um, we can't just passively, these stories, if the, these stories are rites of passage moments, these stories are, which means transformative moments in life, in people's lives. And, and maybe there's a connection for you in Mm-hmm. You know, as you're witnessing for something in your life that connects to whatever Absolutely. is happening in the story um, and that it does it does not allow you to pretend. Mm-hmm. It does not allow you to pretend that you don't see it. It does not allow you to pretend that you don't feel it. Yes. Um, it does not allow you to um, leave unaffected or unchanged the lights don't come up and you just go no home and that's oh the yeah that's yeah. the end yeah no you must <laughs> you must say something talk to somebody you know so- something happens mm-hmm. to you and for some people it it, it ignites a, an anger too right uh because there's a lot of denial of our feelings because we that's the culture we live in mm-hmm. i'm curious maybe we only have a few minutes left mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i, I want to be mindful of that but Could you maybe speak to how this then translates to production? Oh. Because one of the things that is Mm -hmm. so key is not to be thinking about the creation of a beginning, middle, end script. Right. Not to be, but, but these, your work does result in production. It does. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm curious about how, how one informs, how the process informs the product Mm -hmm. uh, because this methodology is not product-based. No, that's right. But a product does happen. happen. Right. Could you speak to that? Mm-hmm. So it's about trusting that a product will happen and you don't even have to 
work for that, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the, the, the method of acting when I was studying in the institution that I most closely um, related to was when Uta Hagen talks, uh, talked about um, the difference between representational and presentational acting. Mm -hmm. um, now, people have different terms for presentational, but when I'm using it, I am talking about your lived experience. I'm talking, I'm not talking, represent means something, means that you already know what the result is because you're redoing something, you're representing something. Where when you're presenting it, it's coming for the first time. Yeah. It's an experience that we're having. And I'm having it at the same time that, that you're having it, you know, um, as, as an audience. So we do have a, a form that we follow. Okay. Like, for example, um, every piece that we create has a prologue and an epilogue. Okay. And the prologue generally uh, asks questions. It asks mm -hmm. questions. And those questions are some of the questions that prompted the writing in the work. Okay. Right? Um, and, uh, and then we generally do, we call them cycles. Uh, mm -hmm. That makes uh, sense. Uh, because they keep, you know, they just keep going. And but also that's African. That's right. And we, we assume that's so right. we ignore the role of the circle in right. theater. Yes, it's yes, origins, it's African but. origins, yes. So cycles, and we create, it depends on how long the piece is. If it's full length, there are seven cycles. Okay. If it's, you know, um, a shorter version of full length, it might be five. And if it's like, you know, just, a, it's three. Okay. So my, my student um, actors, artists, who are creating their own solo pieces, they have to have at least three cycles. Okay. Right? They have to have a prologue. Three cycles and a and a, and an epilogue, okay. basically. Um, so that's the form of of production, and the content of each of those can be um, like somebody might be telling a story, and this is my childhood, this is my middle age, and this is my so, you know somebody might be doing that, and I'm, that might be their three cycles, but they don't have to do that. Yeah, they don't have to because. And they're not always linear and uh, they're, they're not no, related. No, exactly. They're not at all, they do not have, that's what I'm saying. There's so many, you, you go with where it's taking you. Mm. You don't drive, you are a passenger. Mm. Remember the story is impelled to reveal itself. You're the vehicle, it's the content. Right. You know, and um, it'll take you where you where you need to go. So that's how we get that's how we get to production. And we generally even when people are doing solo work, everybody's always concerned that they're not going to have. What am I going to write about? How am I going to you know, I mean, who's going to want to know, you know, who's going to want to hear these things? It's not important or whatever the, the excuses that we make when a story is impelled to reveal itself. It's always important. Mm. That's what we need to know. It's always important. And because you, the vessel, is important, then, you know, and in the process, <laughs> in the <laughs> yes. full circle, mm -hmm. and in the process of, of um, this, these stories that have to come out um, and that have to be shared, mm. you see, they must be witnessed. That's another thing. So that 
we can write, you can write. And if, and if it's your private journal, it's your private journal, whatever. But if you are writing towards um, the inclusion in this piece that we're creating, your writing has to be shared out loud before it can be um, committed to be a part. Even if it's just your piece, say KB's writing her own solo piece, it's just your piece. Even that, yes. you have to share with the community we, mm -hmm. so that we can respond. So that then you can take our responses and do what you want with them. Because I always tell them, you know, you don't have to answer every question. Remember, mm -hmm. the yep. question is way more important than the answer. What we want to do is generate as many questions as we can and let you do what you will with them. Free it's thought. very liberating. It's extremely, and every student that has ever done it, every artist, because um, I've also done it with working artists, mm -hmm. right, who come in to be a part, um, and they're not in training or, you know, in right. school. Um, they've all commented on how liberating it is, how freeing it is, mm -hmm. um, because you're, you haven't constructed a story. You haven't constructed it. It has. You've been a vessel for it. You've been a vessel for it, and it has come forth. It's the story mm -hmm. that comes forth that needs to be told. It needs to be told, and it needs to be witnessed. Yeah. You know, it needs to be witnessed. Um, with that, there is a question that I ask of everyone at the conclusion, uh, particularly in light of this work. I think it's most important. Uh, there's the ongoing dialogue about. Um, the Black Canon, capital B, capital C, and mm. what should be in it. And so I've been calling all of my interviewees to create a community canon of mm. our own. Mm -hmm. And I ask everyone if there's one play that you think should be included in the capital B, capital C, Black Canon. Oh, my God. Oh, there's so many. Lorraine Hansberry's Les Blanc. Mm. Um. It just, the writing in it is just so exquisite. You know? And it is ritual poetic drama before I even cre created the terminology that we're, you know, the methodology, I should say, mm -hmm. for the terminology. Um, it, it was that way long time ago, which also con continues to validate this work Absolutely. over and over and over again, because it's so it's so cyclic and it's so connected to so much other work yeah. that um, I never got. So that's a play I think needs to be in the black canon. All right. Le Blanc. And I love the, uh, I love the idea that she's responding to Jean Genet's The Blacks. Of course. <laughs> of course. You know, I mean, just as a, you know, he wrote The Blacks, I'm writing Le Blanc. Right. You know. And yeah. what a, yet another echo in answer to. <laughs> exactly, exactly, well, yeah. Well, Dr. T, I cannot thank you enough This has been this. fun. It's been delightful, and I've missed you so much. That was Dr. Tanya Pettiford-Waits, the creator of the methodology comprising ritual poetic drama within the African continuum. This is the Black Theatre History Podcast. I'm KB Sane. Our podcast is produced by Equity Justice Productions and is edited by Jeremiah Turner. Our music is by Kaya Caterhurst from the album Ninepin, which can be found wherever great music is sold. If you like what you hear on the podcast, you can learn more 
at www.blacktheaterhistory.com. There, you'll find a link to the Conciliation Lab, where Dr. T is now using theater to transform the social fabric of Richmond, Virginia. Also, a link to her TED Talk and information about the Black Acting Methods textbook and studio. You can also find details about donating to the podcast, about episode commissions, and sponsorship. That's all at www.blacktheaterhistory.com. Theater is spelled with an R-E. Please also subscribe to the Black Theater History Podcast on Audible, Apple Podcasts, other fine streaming services. And please do leave us a review. Your feedback helps get the podcast out to folks who don't yet know about us. The Black Theater History Podcast is produced under a Creative Commons license, and teachers who wish to use the interviews in their classes can link directly to our interviews from the website. Thank you to all of you, our listeners, and special thank yous to my friends at The Basement and my colleagues at Black Theater Network. We're all in this together, friends, and we've got a lot more to learn. Thanks for listening. <laughs>